0: Molly and I would like to extend our thoughts and prayers to everyone in Australia during the devastating bushfires, especially to the Longhorn community. If you'd like to help support relief efforts in Australia, please consider donating to Country Fire Authority or Wildlife Information Rescue and Education Service. Links to these organizations can be found in our show notes. Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Jamie. And this is our From the Pasture with Hired Hand podcast. As the owners of Hired Ham website software, we've been developing websites and creating internet marketing strategies for livestock breeders for the past 10 years. The majority of our customers are involved in the breeding of registered animals, such as Texas longhorn, highland cattle, horses, and white-tailed deer, where the pedigrees are very important. The From the Pasture with Hired Hand podcast examines many of the differences in raising pedigreed livestock for maximum profit. Join us and learn what we're covering today. In today's episode, we're interviewing Allison Irwin with Cowboy Cattle Company. Allison and her fiancé, Corey, raised Texas Longhorns in Australia. Many of you may know them as Cowboy Cattle Co. Texas Longhorns on Instagram. Allison, welcome and thank you for joining us. Will you please take a moment to tell us how you got started raising longhorns?
1: Thank you for having us I'll start by saying. Um, well, Corey and I started in about 1998. We bought our first two crossbred heifers um, from a friend who was a roping partner of Corey's at the time. Uh, We then bought a longhorn-infused bull into the herd. Um, He was a PBR bull from a local contractor and we used him for a little while just to get started because our original intention was just to breed some cattle with horns for Corey to practice on because he was steer wrestling and team roping. There Mm -hmm. was very little to buy. Um, So that got us started with a herd. Uh, Later on, we owned a bull who was out on adjustment, and he got stolen. And the replacement was a bull that was in, registered in America. So that mm-hmm. sort of got us on the path to improving our herd. And eventually, um, when Texas Longhorns Australia got started and running sales, we we bought more and more females and, and went from there. So our initial start in Longhorns was breeding cattle for rodeo, and Corey went to, uh, contracting to our local... A rodeo circuit. We had quite a lot of cows there at one time, but yeah, gradually eventually started to move into more of the stud cattle
0: over time. Okay. And how, how many years ago was that?
1: Um, well, the first two were purchased in 98, but probably 2005 onwards, we've really been trying to improve the okay. herd with better quality bulls and um, now we're at the point where we've got probably 60 females, um, and we will definitely be reducing that number fairly shortly because we're in pretty serious drought over here. So
0: Okay. okay. So when you say you're in pretty serious drought, um, what part of Australia do you live in?
1: Well, we're actually located about two and a half hours below Sydney. So our area is classified as kind of cool temperate or, or mm-hmm. mild temperate, so we get Temperatures um, down to about minus seven in winter uh, overnight, and right up to 45 degrees above in summer. So we get occasional snow, that, but nothing heavy that lies for days or anything like that.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: That that's equivalent for you guys is 14 Fahrenheit on a winter mm-hmm. night. Right through to 114 in summer heat waves. So it's quite a varied temperature that range that
0: we have. So right now it's winter for us, which means it's summer for you.
1: Yes, and we're actually facing a heat wave. So it's 42 above for us here, predicted to be as high as 44, 46 over the weekend.
0: The news on the coast, do you live close to the coast as well, or are you farther inland?
1: We're a bit inland. We're about two and a half hours from the coast where we are. We do get a bit of an mm-hmm. easterly breeze of an evening, which can be pleasant. It's blowing a lot of smoke in at the moment from the bushfires. Wow. That are burning all up the east coast. So Mm it looks a bit like Armageddon here at the moment of an (laughs) evening. I I
0: bet. So is it fairly dry, or is it more humid for you? Very dry. Very We really
1: dry heat down here. Yeah, they get they get quite humid up north. So Australia is nearly the same landmass as the US, Um, Mm -hmm. and we have a huge variation in the climate zone. So we have everything from arid to alpine down the south right through to the tropical um up right up north um and pretty much everything in between. So it's a huge range of climate zones, huge mm-hmm. range of temperatures that our breeders exist in. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's an interesting country, I think, probably a lot like you guys.
0: Right, yep. Sounds like um, it. So with the um variation in temperature, poisonous insects and spiders and snakes, if that's Something that's across Australia, or if that's more if more regional.
1: Well, I think the snakes would be pretty much everywhere. They're mm-hmm. pretty awful. We've got some pretty nasty uh, venomous snakes here. Um, but the insects, the biting insects, we don't really deal with down here. So okay.
0: the
1: humid, the more humid areas would be affected by buffalo and cattle ticks. Okay. But we don't, luckily, get any of those biting insects, and and really. Horrible parasites. We we mm-hmm. tend to deal with just mainly fluke and lice, which are really easily prevented with routine drenches. Okay. So, oh, and okay, typically annoying blowflies, but everybody gets them. So,
0: yep. Okay. Um, and with the snakes that you have around do you, do, do they bother the cattle, or is not necessarily?
1: Not really. In in the twenty years or so, we've only had one loss that we suspect was a brown snake, and that was a calf. Um, okay, but they're not really something that would affect. Uh, us routinely. We sort yeah, of watch out for them.
0: Okay. I was thinking I was reading, um, online that you have 21 of the 25 most deadly snakes that are in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, that was pretty horrible. <laughs> right.
1: It's always, you know, the last <laughs> thing you want to do is put on lots of clothing, but you, you know, it's always yeah. long boots and, and heavy gear. Right. You know, we've probably had six or so brown snakes in and around our place, um, okay. this year so far.
0: Okay. Um, and then besides beyond snakes, what is the other biggest predator that you have for the cattle?
1: You, we actually don't really have any large, there's certainly no mm-hmm. native land-based predators in Australia. We do have the dingo, but that's a medium-sized dog, and that's mm-hmm. only in sort of probably fairly restricted areas of the country if you're bordering onto national parks or state forests okay. or something like that. Um mm-hmm. And and even then, it's it's more likely to be a danger when they're crossed with domestic dogs gone feral. They okay. get quite large, and they are a real problem in some areas of the country. And they would potentially take a calf, but not okay. where we are. We don't have any large predators here. So okay. you know, certain certain parts of the country would deal with saltwater crocodiles, but that's pretty rare, I would imagine. Um,
0: okay, the dingo sounds like it's pretty um, similar to a coyote. That we have.
1: I would imagine so, yeah. I don't think they'd be as big though.
0: Roughly how many longhorn breeders are in Australia?
1: We have, it's, it's actually really hard to put a number on it. So there are estimates up to around the 100 mark, but mm-hmm. I think in mm-hmm. terms of the organisation, there's only sort of something like 40 members, 40 to 50 members of the association at the moment, and some of them mm-hmm. are in the US and Canada. I think okay. a lot of people just want to enjoy the breed and breed without necessarily being part of the association and there mm-hmm. are quite a lot of people who breed just for um rodeo stock.
0: So out of the roughly sounds like 40 to 50 more active members do you all live pretty close together distance-wise do you spread out more across the country?
1: Oh that's spread right out so some of we've got breeders as low as um in the country's Tasmania which is right mm-hmm. down to the south um, And some of the breeders right up north would be, you know, possibly 3,000 well, nearly 4,000 kilometres from them, so that's like 2,300 miles, I think. Mm -hmm. Quite a distance between breeders from north to south and then east to west, we're talking nearly the same, so 2,500 miles in case from east to west. So breeders are spread right out, so it gets really difficult to have regular get-togethers.
0: So because everybody's spread out, do you have one annual sale or do you have annual sales or events throughout the year?
1: Yep, Texas Longhorns Australia runs one annual sale and show each year Um, and there is one other closed vendor sale in Queensland. So there's only really two main Texas Longhorn events year-round. So it's not Mm -hmm. an active community in the sense of events at this point. So hopefully mm-hmm. that will improve in time.
0: And the annual sale—do you have one, say, in the spring, one in the fall, or what times of year do you usually have the sale?
1: Uh, TLA used to run a sale in June, which was our winter, but that's recently mm-hmm. been changed to September, so our spring or fall. No, spring. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, that that has its—I suppose depending on where you are, because we are so spread out, that brings with it its different issues because people are carving at different times. So for us. Yeah. A sale in September is approaching carving time, so that's it. Just brings different issues for different people across the country, and with the mm-hmm. age of age of stock that they're bringing in. It. So we started the show in twenty fourteen, I think it was. So it just had its sixth or seventh year of the show. Um, it's kind only of quite mm-hmm. a small show.
0: How did longhorns arrive in Australia, or what's their history in Australia?
1: Well, we actually recently met um, Patrick Holt and his wife, Linda, um, who bought Texas longhorns to Australia in the mid-1980s. So they've um, re-entered the scene, which is wonderful. And they mm-hmm. bought in the first, or well, Patrick, bought in the first core live animals into the country when live animals were still able to come in. So nowadays we're not allowed to bring in live cattle Mm -hmm. Uh, but in the 80s Patrick did a lot of work with the authorities and and wrote the protocols and so on to bring cattle into Australia and Mm -hmm. when they it was a huge process Uh, but later on when the cattle were here and established they did a lot of um, embryo transfer and artificial breeding to increase the stock from those original four Mm -hmm. Um, cattle to a range of ag shows and things like that to market and promote them and they did start to gain some traction on Um, but it wasn't until I think it was about 2008 that Texas Longhorns Australia was established as a formal organization and not long after that they established a grading up program which enabled a whole bunch of new breeders to get into the
0: breed. Can you explain what the grading up program is?
1: Which is a respected program of breeding to increase the numbers of animals in a certain location if numbers are low, so it's done all around the world and a lot of breeds here in Australia followed a grading up program to establish numbers because it was difficult and expensive, being so geographically isolated to get numbers to viable points. So all of our most common breeds have followed a grading up program, Angus I believe, Hereford the Quarter Horse. Santa Catruda's whole range of breeds um, had followed a grading up program and essentially what that is is starting out like a crossbreeding program in a sense where you start with a foundation animal preferably one that has traits that are very close to or as close as possible to the end breed and you would put a, a an American register bull over that first animal. So the progeny of that is a 50% Texas Longhorn, so that's okay. classified as T1. So that's what you'd be doing in a crossbreeding program. But then what we would do in a grading up program is put a full blood bull over, or full blood, or a purebred bull, over mm-hmm. the progeny from the T1. So you're putting a, a Texas Longhorn bull over successive generations of females until you reach the point six generations later where they're mm-hmm. classified as purebred. So increasing or infusing more and more blood, more more and more genetics each time until you get to a purebred status. So, sixth generation is deemed to be purebred, and they are 98.375% Texas Longhorn genetic. Every other, every generation past T6 is classified as TP, um, and that. Obviously, the the further and further you go, the closer and closer you get to the technical 100% Texas longhorn. The time you get to a T5 or a fifth generation, you're very, very close. You wouldn't visually or, or even I would question via DNA be able to tell the difference between a T5 animal or a full blood. So that the grading up program just let people get into the breed where they previously wouldn't have been able to because there was a very small number of breeders in Australia at the time that had Texas Longhorns and they were largely American registered and they were very, very costly and there was a decent demand for them. So Corey and I would not have been able to get into the breed had it not been for the grading up program. So it, was, so it was really valuable at the time. And to be honest, I'm not sure how viable an association would have been without a grading up program. So mm. it's allowed a lot of people, you know, passionate breeders like ourselves to get into it and improve.
0: So do you, do you purchase um, genetics from the US? Or do you, is it mainly just within Australia?
1: Uh, we did early on buy a few cows from outside, but now we sort of, maintaining roughly the same Mm. female herd, and yes, then we Mm -hmm. just purchased genetics from the U.S. So we're really grateful, I would Mm -hmm. say that, for everybody here in Australia, really grateful for the long-term support Mm -hmm. of um, Dickinson Cattle Company and a few other breeders. Uh, Charlene Mm -hmm. Simkin was an early provider of genetics. Ross Suver has recently provided us with SAM checks, and I've got to say from our perspective, Corey, and my perspective, we're really grateful to... Jonathan and Christina and Keith and Sandy Bents from Timber Ridge, Longhorns, and Heaven mm. on Earth.
0: Yep, they yep. put a bull
1: through called Tripwire. Um, they they had him cleared for export to Australia. So through that partnership, um, we brought Tripwire across to Australia and he was great for our herd. And then later on, we just had a partnership with Jonathan and Christina in a bull called Beretta 531. So okay. we've got a whole bunch of really it's exciting heifers here. Um, through that connection. So we haven't dealt with yeah. embryo transfer. There are some people uh, okay. who have brought embryos across, but we just haven't. Like, we're really happy with the progress yes. that we're making with uh, with the semen. So Corey does all our own AI, so we're just happy poking along with our that okay. program just by buying the U.S. semen.
0: Is there any advice that you have for U.S. breeders who want to get their genetics into Australia program?
1: I would probably say mainly to understand the genetics that we already have here and if they are looking to put bulls through to possibly put up stuff that we don't already have. So we see a lot of... Mm -hmm. Because we've had drag iron and we've now got um, Rio Grande and a few other sort of... Well, that go back to that. So we're really looking for things that are a little bit more distantly related than some of the more popular bulls at the moment. So just, Mm -hmm. just really... Um, talk to breeders. We're always happy to talk to breeders and talk about what people are wanting over here mm-hmm. and help them understand what we already have so we're just not getting anything that's too closely related. And I suppose just be willing to chat because we've, we've been in a position where we've tried to communicate and, and don't always get a reply so a oh, no is okay. always more welcome than, <laughs> than, than silence. Not, not hearing anything. <laughs> Yeah, we love talking to people, so we'd be and people can always contact us. Um, okay, through well, any of our
0: channels. Yep, I know you said earlier that um, people are intimidated by their horns. Is There another um, common misconception about raising longhorns in Australia. I think
1: yes, um, in one sense, I know people disagree with me. In terms of within the breeding community, there there is a bit of a a perception that full-blood cattle, as in the American registered cattle, are better and more valuable cattle than the graded purebreds, or those that came mm-hmm. up through the grading up program. But mm-hmm. This is our, our opinion, because there's, um, they're visually and genetically identical, and it's there's an ongoing debate, even in America, about introduced genetics. So we've, from our perspective at Cowboy Cattle Company, tend to prefer to look at the actual Quality of the animal rather than the certificate. Whereas there's a bit of a push here to buy full bloods based on their grade rather than the quality of the animal. So mm-hmm. we would rather, you know, structurally and structurally correct animals that are performing as they should, rather mm-hmm. than one that's got a certificate that registers it in America. So that, mm-hmm. I mean, that's our personal point. I know people will disagree with it, and that's fine. But in terms of the bigger challenges with the breed in the wider community, absolutely can be difficult. Um, the perception of the breed over here is, I think, generally poor. And I, I'm not sure whether it's the same over there, but I think a lot of people have been exposed to animals that have only been bred for rodeo. They're probably more common than the quality stud stock around the place. So the animals that have been bred only for their horns and perhaps not as well raised have contributed to a perception that the breed is not a commercial or viable option for people. Um, I think we're starting from a really low base in that sense. So People don't really know or understand what the breed has to offer. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: in that sense, there's a lot of, marketing required and consistent, you know, all of the breeders in the country need to be on the same page, producing the same quality of stock, and then able to market quality animals so that mm-hmm. that perception will gradually improve. It's, um, yeah, I think that, that sort of comes back to a point about education, so I'd really like to see more education mm-hmm. on, on people that are new to the industry here as to what the breed can be. So that our baseline is improving as well as our top end cattle.
0: Mm -hmm. Is it, do you, do you and Corey, do you take your animals to, so what we have here would be FSA and it's groups, um, that's groups in high school who are interested in ag. Um, do Do you take your cattle to those kids or have those kids come out to the farm to try to get them educated to start, I guess, educating them at a younger age? Or is that, do you not have those groups there?
1: There are a few, like agriculture, agricultural programs through high schools are sort of more focused in some of the regional areas. Um, but there are a few ag colleges around here. And it is something, that's a good point, it is something we probably could do more of. Mm-hmm. Um, we have taken cattle to field days and uh, various different promotional events around. Place and it and that understanding of the perception of the breed comes from those those field days that we've been out. So people will either walk past and say, "What do you want them for?" or they'll stand and have a really interesting conversation with you. So it's really varied kind of
0: mm-hmm. re-
1: response that you get to the breed. But overall, yeah, there, there are definitely things that we could do more to promote that element of the breed. I think it just comes back to time and and money again because yeah. we are to spread out taking opportunities where you can, and we also, in terms of challenges here, we also have a lot of trouble getting Mm -hmm. new markets established, so, Mm -hmm. excuse me, it's really difficult over here to get abattoirs to take beasts in because of the horns. If you had large Mm -hmm. numbers of cattle, they would want them all tipped, their horns tipped to the end of their ear. Okay. That brings with it a whole range of animal welfare issues because it's getting harder and harder to make those sort of um handling issues. They will do an emergency kill with horns, but it's, it's basically getting harder and harder to find any facilities that are willing to fit cattle in for that purpose. So killing for horns or hide in a commercial sense is really difficult, and killing to supply a restaurant or any other sort of commercial and- market is is really difficult mm-hmm. and then on top of that we're dealing with drought across the country so <clears throat> formal markets are, are really difficult to to get into but i suppose in that sense it you flip it around it becomes an opportunity to look at the smaller markets like the paddock to plate and
0: and there are a few people
1: here um, who are starting to look into paddock to plate operation
0: you said what what did you say to plate so like here we have farm to plate
1: Yes, paddock to plate, we would call it here. <laughs> paddock, yeah. So we would call it a paddock versus a pasture or a field.
0: Okay. <laughs> those okay. Uh,
1: language differences.
0: So you recently had the Texas Longhorn Rendezvous. Is um, there anything new that you discussed there with the future of the longhorn breed in Australia that you'd like to share?
1: That The Rendezvous was run by Pat and Linda Holt in Victoria, and it was really intended as a discussion starter. So it was their first event, um, and essentially intended to get people talking. So they put a whole bunch of um, things on the table to prompt conversation and get the cogs turning in people's brain, which I think is something that niche breeds in this country really need to start doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a sense, it was putting issues on the table like the rising impact of animal welfare and animal liberation organisations in the raising of livestock. Um, it went as far as talking about blockchain technology. We discussed a few things like the issues that uh, the breed face um, in terms of perception and the ability to kill through standard um, abattoirs and things like that. So there was, there was more issues put on the table to get some cogs turning, and I think the intention is that Linda and Pat will run some more events that will further that conversation. So wasn't really outcomes focused, it was more a, a discussion starter. And I think in that okay. sense it was it was very effective and <clears throat> the further events the patent leader will run um and the education they'll run I think is really sorely needed. So it will be mm-hmm. it'll be a good good hopefully a good turning point for the breed here right. to have regular regular conversations about where we're going. And and they had a really huge response actually to The event, so they've got a lot of people that are seeking more advice and more information and more connection, which is a really good sign, I think.
0: Um, Are those people who currently have longhorns or people who are interested in getting longhorns?
1: I think it's a variety of people. So certainly a lot of the breeders that exist within TLA, active breeders in TLA that are um, wanting to progress and people Mm -hmm. who are perhaps breed that aren't members, and then people mm-hmm. who don't yet breed but are interested in the breed and will purchase when they have the opportunity or have the, the land to raise them on and that sort of That's, that's exciting news. It is. Yeah, it's, it's a good sign for the breed, I think. But sort it of yes. tend to feel like a rising tide lifts all boats. <clears throat> so it can only be good for the breed with more people.
0: Love what you're hearing? Be sure to check out our Pickup Truck Concessions. It's a video series where we hop in the truck or a rental car and interview a variety of breeders about what drives their passion for their livestock, how they got started in the breed of their choice, marketing tips, and more. And now, back to the podcast, or at your sales or private treaty, what's the average? Um... That would be really
1: hard to put a figure on. Uh, we've had TLA sales where the top price cow was an $8,000 cow, okay. but our last sale, <clears throat> which is I think very much a reflection of the drought. The top-priced animal was $1,500. I think eight of the 10 TLA sales, and there's just no trend. You just can't really Mm -hmm. identify a trend. So it was interesting to see from the first one through whether there were more people getting involved or whether people were falling off. But I think it was really hard to identify because not only do people come in and out of the breed, but people are experiencing different... Drought and various different climatic um, events at different times, which mean that they can or can't buy or they're forced to destock or whatever. So there was just no easy way to look at the industry as a whole and, and see if it's growing or not. No. So mm-hmm. I think we're mm-hmm. still, in a lot of ways, we're still in our infancy. The breed of women. The the organisation has just celebrated its 10th year. But it took us, because of the grading up program, it took us, we didn't submit cattle to the sales floor most of that time because we didn't have animals that we wanted to put out that represented our breed well. We're now at a point where anything we sell, we would equally be happy to hold on to. And that was an intentional decision, not to put cattle out there that we weren't going to be proud of. So in that sense, I think we're just entering, excuse me, a, a maturity. There is opportunity for a whole bunch of growth and, well, it's establishment and then growth, I think. We're probably really just at a phase where we're establishing Yep. breeders. There are several new breeders that are keen to and look like they'll be around long term, which is a good thing. Whereas earlier on, we had people coming in and and leaving. Um, so mm-hmm. there was sort of a natural turnover early on. Now that, now things need to be a bit more stable in terms of the breeders in the industry, which is good because you're going to get an improvement on generations of their cattle each time. Mm-hmm. And then as it improves, then you can grow. And I think with the establishment and the growth, you're going to attract naturally people to the breed who start to see better examples of the breed and mm-hmm. better promotions and better marketing and and a just a larger presence as it, as it improves. So.
0: so do you know um the right. longest tip to tip in Australia?
1: Um I think it's a cow in North Queensland from Michael Bethel. Um okay. Shu B Longhorns. I don't know the cow's name, but I think she's in the eighties. Um okay. we don't have official measurements over here in the sense that you do over there where people are qualified to measure and it's Mm -hmm. done by a team of people.
0: So here in the U.S. when people buy an animal, a lot of the focus is on horn. Would you say that's not the case in Australia?
1: It's becoming more the case and we are still overall behind where you guys are. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, I mean personally we are interested in horn growth, but it's like you're jumping on the bandwagon to say that we're interested Mm -hmm. in the the total Mm -hmm. package animal. I don't think we're interested in horn growth over any other trait, so we genuinely would be trying to take a balanced animal forward rather than just breed for length.
0: Well, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to just spend talking with us. We really appreciate it.
1: No, thank you for having us. We appreciate the opportunity.